0: computer initialize hollow Holosuite hollow media
1: and welcome to another edition of random trek review the podcast where we analyze discuss and review randomly selected star trek episodes my name's matt and with me as always is my good friend andrew who is recovering from a nasty bout of cheeriositis. uh now fortunately we were able to track down the orion or or is it orion uh pirates that stole the medication before andrew's symptoms got too serious so he's good to go andrew how are you
0: Uh, You know, I'm perfect, uh, Matt. I've got my big bowl of cereal here. I've got, uh, you know, a nice cup of coffee. It is a very dreary weekend, Sunday morning when we're recording this. So, I mean, there is no better time to sit down and watch some cartoons than on a dreary weekend morning with a nice big bowl of Fruit Loops and uh, maybe not necessarily a coffee, but if I'm going to make it through this episode, I think I might need a couple of cups. So uh, yeah, I'm doing all right.
1: Yeah, it's fitting that we'd be uh, reviewing an old, you know, 1970s cartoon on a Sunday morning in the pouring rains. Very fitting that we'll be, we're, we're here in the morning, because I imagine this is probably when a lot of kids would have watched it back in the 70s. Um First thing we're going to do, is we always do, is we're going to go to the end of the last podcast, and Andrew is going to give me a a bit of a recap of how much I could remember for this, and he's going to give me a a score out of five canisters of strobelin. So uh, how did I make out with my uh, (laughs) blind uh, throwing of the darts?
0: Uh, Not bad. Um, I think that uh, one of the benefits you had here was that the title gives away some pieces here, so... Um, you knew that the Orion pirates were going to be green aliens, which they ended up being, so that was good. Um, you knew that they were going to steal something from the Enterprise, which actually did happen as well. Um, you said that they were going to fly through an anomaly that would be kind of similar to the Bermuda Triangle, which isn't exactly right, but they did have to kind of go and and find them in a in a kind of uh, unique spot. So I think that you're you're pretty close to uh, you know something there. Um, you also mentioned that Scotty was going to have to push the engines to maximum, which when they were tracking them down, they actually did say, so that was pretty good. You had a Kirk fight and Spock doing some sciency stuff, which I mean, that could be true of any episode, but maybe not necessarily specific. This one, I think that the part you're missing was just the fact that it was Spock that got sick and that they were trying to track down the medicine or what have you. That being said, you know, like it's, it's pretty good. I'd say it's kind of middle of the pack, middle of the road. So I'm going to probably give you, I mean, considering it's such a short episode, I think I'm going to give you three out of five. Um, It's uh, maybe slightly generous, but I mean, there really isn't much in this episode. I mean, it really is just an episode where the Orions come, steal from the Enterprise, and they have to get it back. So, um, I mean, with that respect, it pretty much is what you said. So, um, yeah, I mean, well done. So this week, yes, we'll
1: be talking about the Pirates of Orion.
0: It is... From the second season of the animated
1: series, it's the first episode, so the season premiere. It originally aired on September 7th, 1974. It has a very rare guest star. Uh, Norm Prescott was the voice of the Orion Lieutenant. And we're going to talk a little bit about Norm Prescott later on. Uh, It was written by Howard Weinstein and directed by Bill Reed. And just in case you didn't get a chance to watch it, I will give you a very brief synopsis. In the midst of a shipwide outbreak, Mr. Spock contracts choriocytosis, a disease relatively harmless to humans but fatal to Vulcans. The Enterprise arranges to receive a shipment of strobilin, a rare substance that will cure the disease, but the SS Huron is hijacked by a strange vessel and its cargo is stolen while it is en route to the Enterprise. The vessel leaves a trail of radioactive waste which allows the Enterprise to track it. They are led into an unusual asteroid field where they confront the vessel which turns out to be Orion. After a battle of verbal treaty and regulation citations, the Orion Captain tries to trick the Enterprise into a trap which will destroy both vessels, but Kirk overpowers him and prevents the Orion Captain from executing his fiendish plot. They are able to retrieve the antidote and save Mr. Spock just in the nick of time. <laughs> All right. Uh, the first watch uh, for this episode, Andrew. I believe this is the first time that you have seen it. Uh, what, is that right?
0: Yeah, actually, I think that the only couple of times that I've ever sat down to watch the animated series was for this show. Uh, there was a time where I thought maybe I'd get into it, and I think I kind of cherry picked one episode that somebody told me was really good, and it was. It's just it's such a different experience. Um, you and I are kind of products of the '80s, and so our threshold for cartoons and kind of quality is so much higher than this that i find it very difficult to watch i mean as far as i'm concerned you and i grew up kind of during the the golden age of cartoons right with ninja turtles and transformers and gi joe and everything and i mean those shows hold up to today like if you go back and watch them they're still really good i still get a good laugh out of them and and the action and the music and everything's still really great And it just goes to show you the difference between the 70s and 80s. So like when I watch these, they are hard for me to get through. I don't really – it's not even that I – it's not not even necessarily that I don't like them. It's just that the way that it's done and the way that it's shot and the way that it sounds, everything is just so subpar in a way. And I don't necessarily think that it's the show. I just think that it's just of the era, right? I think that cartoons during this time were just not – to that same kind of level is is that kind of your thought as well or do you think that uh, these are better than they appear
1: uh they are kind of tough to get through um this is the second time i've seen this specific episode i mean a couple of years ago when i was you know going through all the series and i decided i'm going to get my you know i've seen every star trek episode badge so i you know so i went through the animated series and it was yeah, it was tough because these I think it's because this is sort of the one of the, the early part of this whole like Sunday morning cartoon craze that that went on, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And, and I think it's there were some growing pains here, you know, for the reasons that you mentioned, like it's it was, it was it's, it's these are tough to get through sometimes. Now, there's really not a whole lot of background information on this other than uh, it was written by a teenager, which uh, is, you know, kind of interesting. It's, it, was, uh, it was Howard Weinstein, and he submitted this script uh, when he was 19 years old.
0: I feel like there was an epi- a regular episode of RTR where we talked about somebody being very young that wrote it. Um, it maybe was the youngest person to write one of the live-action shows. I think it might have been Imaginary Friend I want to say, was one of the episodes that we we had talked about and the person had been insanely young. They maybe were like in their 20s or something. Uh, Again, this was during the time where you could write into Star Trek with your scripts and stuff. So I don't know that it necessarily shows other than it's like not super polished and and some of the writing is not maybe that great. But I mean, young people sometimes have an interesting take on stuff. And I mean, just because you're young doesn't necessarily mean that you can't write. I mean, I think of... um, Frankenstein, right? Um, she, didn't she write that when she was yeah, like an early teenager maybe even? Um, and I think that, remember that Aragon series? It was kind of like about dragons and um, it was kind of like four or five book series. I know that that person wrote it when they were like in high school uh, for like grade 12 English or something and then they went on to publish it. So it's not like it's impossible to do and obviously this guy ended up going on to write other things. So he might have just been a talented writer that you know, blossomed really early. So I don't know. Did you feel like it was, it, it seemed like a 19 year old in the seventies that wrote this?
1: Um, I, when I was watching the episode, I didn't really feel like, gee, this writing is terrible or, or anything like that. It seemed kind of typical for the animated series. So, I mean, I've read this afterwards that it was written by a guy that was, you know, a col- in his, I think, sophomore year of college. So, um... Yeah, I didn't really, watching through it, I didn't really get the sense that it was written by an amateur or anything like that.
0: I think that one of the scarier things is is that I think you mentioned that uh, Gene Roddenberry said that this was actually one of the better first drafts that they received when they were doing the animated series. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, does that say something about this person's writing skills or does it say that everyone else is kind of, you know, mailing in these cartoon episodes like I I have a feeling and we'll talk about it as the the episode progresses but it's almost as if everybody that works on this kind of is not really putting forth their their best foot
1: I think it may be a bit of both I mean if you're sending in a script chances are you're probably spending more time on the first draft than maybe a regular writer would because you know that it has to be good if it's going to get picked up Whereas, if you're already a writer, you can maybe, you know, that you're going to have the opportunity to go through and, and make, fix things and change things if needed. Whereas, if you're like just some guy writing in a script, you know, you want it to be as, as good as it can be when you send it in. So maybe it's a bit of both. Because I, I think some of the writing on the animated series is a little bit suspect.
0: Something that just kind of popped into my head, which I think is kind of interesting is that during this time people sent in drafts of scripts right and you and I have talked at length about you know the idea was for this to happen but then they tweaked it and they changed it and you know, instead of it being Jake, they made it wharf and and whatever, like they, they, they kind of massage the script. And it goes through a couple of different layers before they eventually give us the final product. Sometimes it's way better. Sometimes it's way worse. Sometimes you'll never know. But something I'm just kind of thinking about TV Trek nowadays is the idea that do they really even do drafts? for the Star Trek shows nowadays, because it's not as if you can really change major pieces or take this little idea and and expand upon it because of this whole, you know, anthology kind of way that they're showing the story, right? Like, if you change too much, then it will kind of get away from the overarching story that they're trying to tell. And I wonder if that maybe kind of hurts it in a way. Because uh, you're not getting those, you know, 11th hour decisions that end up being genius or you're not getting the input from all the different writers or all the different people working on it and, and you're changing it.
1: Well, I think the minute you go into serialized storytelling in a, in a TV and I think and I mean, a lot of shows do it now. I think you fundamentally change the writing process because you have to have you have to have the whole season mapped out. And, you know, if, if, if you're a writer and you're, you're given episode seven, you know, you, you know that from the beginning of episode seven to the end of episode seven, A, B, C, and D has to happen. Otherwise, the whole story's messed up. So I, I don't know. Maybe you don't get much freedom as far as the plot, but maybe you are able to, you know, inject your style when it comes to, like, dialogue and and. You know how the characters get from a to b to c to d but i i think i think it's fundamentally a different process because of the way that they do the the seasons now
0: yeah i feel like there's something about the star trek universe that was that was always a big part of it it wasn't really just one person's vision or one person's idea it was like always seemed to me like it was a group effort on a lot of things and uh I don't know. Uh, The newer things just don't seem to have it. And I I think it's kind of an interesting contrast because, you know, the animated series has always been the, you know, stick it in the corner, don't talk about it, like pretend it never happened. But (laughs) there are certain things that are similar to the other shows that I can at least appreciate a little bit.
1: Now just to kind of wrap up uh, Howard Weinstein. now he he became a fairly prolific writer. He ended up going on to write. this was the only episode that he ever wrote, but he wrote nine novels and 59 comic books, and most of them were original series, which I guess you know he's probably the most familiar with. He wasn't just like a you know one-off uh, teenager who submitted a script and got lucky. He actually ended up becoming quite a quite a decent uh,
0: writer. Yeah, have you ever read any of the Star Trek comics?
1: uh actually there's one series or sort of anthology that i read but i'm not really much of a comic book guy
0: yeah i i have i've read kind of a couple here and there but um i know that the original series era comics they have like recently re-released in like a giant like anthology book it's like a meter long of (laughs) comics and uh it's one of those things where it's very overwhelming. I mean, it, it's hard enough to go back and watch all the shows, but to try to track down all the comics and novels and all the excess stuff, um, yeah, I, I can't say that I'm going to be like looking up these 59 comics and reading them anytime soon.
1: All right, let's dive into the, uh, the episode itself. Now, uh, you know, Spock gets infected with this disease that's apparently harmless to humans and fatal to Vulcans, which is a little convenient, but uh, nevertheless.
0: Well, they actually, Matt, they do mention that it's not even as serious as pneumonia, which I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be kind of like a, you know, it's the future. Pneumonia is no longer a dangerous illness or whether it was trying to say like, well, you know, it's serious, but not that serious. Like, it was kind of a weird thing to say and like you said it seems to be more specific that it's you know affecting Vulcans versus humans
1: only affecting Spock in in a like you know fatal way but yeah so there's like this antidote but of course they're too far away they can't get there in time but so it's so like they they, you know they make this sort of dire situation and then like five seconds later they're like oh wait a minute but we can get this ship to go to this ship and then that ship can come here with the antidote and everything will be fine. No problem. So it was kind of a weird, like flip of like going to this crazy dire situation. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, but wait a minute, we can fix it. No problem.
0: Yeah. Even the way that Spock kind of collapses is very, I don't know. I, I laughed out loud, but I think they were trying to create some sort of like drama in, in this kind of scenario. So Kirk says, uh, Mr. Spock, can you like raise the diplomats on the, on the channels? And he's like, ah, and he falls over. (laughs) It's like, how, how badly did he not want to contact those diplomats? But then, yeah, there's kind of like this very quick, like probably within 30 seconds, they're like, well, he's got this disease. Now he needs the antidote. We can't get the antidote. It's too far away. But if we got another ship to meet us, then we could do it. And it's like, yeah, I don't, like, is this supposed to be for kids, or is this supposed to be for adults? Because I kind of feel like a kid would have no clue what they're talking about, and I feel like it would be very difficult to kind of follow.
1: Yeah, it's. I've never really been able to figure that out, because there are times when you think, okay, yeah, kids are going to have no clue what's going on here, but then sometimes they, like, things are so simplistic, you wonder if, like, well, are they trying to target kids with this? It's, it's kind of a weird thing, where I think maybe they were trying to have their cake and eat it too. But I don't know if it really works that well.
0: No. And I think it's one of those things that we've, the other time that we saw the animated series, we said the exact same thing. They just try to do way too much in way too short a time. And it just makes the whole thing feel so rushed and crazy that it's like they could have just, you know, trimmed this down a little bit and, and it, it might work a little bit better. But um, I don't know. It, it's almost as if to me that they couldn't grasp the concept that it was only like half the time. It feels like they tried to put whole episodes into the 20 minute time frame and uh, it just makes everything seem rushed to me anyway.
1: Yeah, I felt like the beginning was actually kind of slow and then the end it just like took off. But uh, we'll I guess we can get into that a little bit later now. So this freighter, the SS Huron, uh, they're confronted and attacked by this mysterious, weird ship. And I found that their captain was very nonchalant leading up to it. And even when it happened, because he was just sort of like, oh, there's this weird ship. What could it be? And they're like, sir, they're like hailing us and they want to steal all our stuff. And he's just like, really that's very strange like i wonder what they what what they could want with our cargo like he just seemed so out of it well
0: i'm gonna go a step further and i kind of feel like everybody in the episode is kind of like that like i had it written down that mccoy when they first kind of go and talk to him he just seemed so tired it was like did they phone up DeForest kelly at like uh, 4 a.m to record this episode (laughs) he's just like oh no it looks like your Vulcan blood can't handle Like, he just seems so tired. And then, yeah, this captain, he's just kind of like, oh, no, like, here they come. Like, he just seems like he doesn't care at all. Same thing, like they must have just woke him up from, like, night shift or something. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, such a weird kind of thing. And, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the animated series, where it's like almost everybody feels like they've just mailed it in. You know, like, ah, I'm too tired for this crap. Like, I, I, I can't be bothered. Um, even the actors that are, you know, just doing this. Like, I mean, William Shatner, Forest Kelly, Leonard Moy Okay, yeah. Cartoon is probably not the thing that they really are going to be getting up for. But even the, yeah, the side characters seem like they're bored of it. And this is the season premiere. <laughs> You'd think that this would be like the one that they all would be super pumped about. But, yeah, I don't know. Very, very strange.
1: Yeah, the mannerisms were really weird. Um, now, the Enterprise, you know, finds the Huron, and their the crew was left alive, but their, their engines were fried, and the cargo bay was, like, stripped bare. The crew was left alive, but they didn't really offer a whole lot of insight as to what happened because the Enterprise had to, like, figure out that, like, this ship left this trail that they could follow. Like, wouldn't uh, the captain or any of the other people on the Huron be like, oh, yes, it was this <laughs> funny-looking red ship that was very strange that we'd never seen before that's what you need to look for uh
0: what did you think of the ship actually just as kind of like a little side uh bar here like both the huron as well as the orion ship
1: the orion ship was like really out there it looked like some sort of really large red and yellow like space insect to me the huron i thought was not terrible like i figure it's a freighter so it's going to be kind of bulky looking and and i thought the it looked, I mean, I thought it was fairly convincing as a freighter.
0: Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was neat to see a Starfleet vessel that wasn't like your typical saucer and nacelles, uh, which was pretty cool. And did you also notice that they um, took the time to make the crew of the Huron, their chest logos were like slightly different?
1: Yeah, I did notice that. Yep.
0: I feel like you probably know better than me but th- this was kind of the canon thing of the or- original series right like the the insignias that you have on your chest are ship specific
1: that's right yep the, the you don't see it often there was only maybe a handful of times in the original series where they like you actually saw officers on a different ship but yeah the the chest insignia was supposed to be uh, ship specific
0: okay that's pretty cool cuz i do know that like um in our space missions that we have like the different apollo missions they have different insignias depending on what mission it is. So that's kind of like a cool little crossover. Um, although I feel like maybe they kind of spoiled that in like the Discovery season two because the Enterprise they just have like the plain silver badges. I kind of think that's kind of a cool thing of the era that it was different depending on where you were and what you were doing.
1: Well, even in Enterprise um, when we saw the Columbia, oh yeah, the, the logo on the shoulder, yeah, it was a little, it was. I, I think it w- it was either really different it was either totally different or they was a, at the very least it was you know significantly tweaked and very and yeah it was di- it was distinctive yeah they did that in Enterprise as well
0: and I think it kind of helps because remember there's that whole story arc where Trip is going to go over and he's going to work with the Columbia instead like they trade him or he he transfers or something and it kind of helps the audience to kind of piece together like oh he's on the other ship now even though it looks the same and and I mean it's basically the same sets and everything. It's kind of like those little things that they change just kind of like primes it in your mind that, oh, this is not the Enterprise. This is another ship and he's working over there now. So yeah, little stuff like that. And I mean, you wouldn't expect it on the animated series. Like this would be the time where if it fell through, you'd accept it. But just the fact that they threw that little thing in, I think is kind of a nice touch.
1: Yeah, I I did notice that, yeah. Uh, Now, another convenient little piece of plot here. Now, the Enterprise figures out a way that they can track this ship which they've never encountered before because apparently it you know spews out this radioactive waste um and it leads them to this uh asteroid field which uh i thought looked very psychedelic uh the asteroids were were very brightly uh colored any any uh theories as to why that might have ended up
0: it's kind of like it's a cartoon for kids so they're like they're gonna put in like you know the fruity pebble style asteroids to kind of you know maybe appeal to a younger demographic i maybe should have mentioned that actually when i was doing your recap because you said that they went to the bermuda triangle or bermuda triangle-esque kind of place and i mean this is not really like a place that you go and maybe get like stuck in or get your ship gets lost but it definitely was kind of of the ilk let's say I guess it kind of makes for a cool place to have a big showdown. Um, Although you never really get the sense that it's going to be like a dogfight. It's more... I don't know. These Orion guys kind of have like a weird thought process and not necessarily one that I really can understand. So they have the stuff. They're given the option to kind of give it over and do a trade for like basically like such a sweet deal like Dilithium and all these resources and everything. But then they keeps citing all these, like, regulations and treaties, and then the Orion guy thinks that he's just going to blow them both up so that the other Orions can keep pirating and stuff. It's like, I have to admit, I should have probably watched it over again because I have no idea what's going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was a really weird, like, so you mentioned there's, like, this showdown and you're expecting some big space battle, but instead, Kirk and this Orion captain are, like, citing all these obscure treaty regulations and and all this like it was really bizarre cuz Kirk doesn't really strike me as a guy who like sits in his quarters in his spare time like memorizing regulations and treaties and stuff and he's like citing like in the 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 agreement of Babel section 213 subsection 5 like that's more of a Picard thing really mm-hmm. and and the Orion captain is like coming back at him and being like well no but according to this treaty we we uh are entitled to neutrality and there was like he was the orion captain was very very concerned about maintaining the neutrality of the orions and it didn't really make a whole lot of sense why and it never was explained why he like he was even willing to like you know kill everyone on his ship to to maintain it like it didn't make a lot of sense to me
0: so I mean this is probably as good a time as any and again I probably should have done a little bit more homework on this but so these guys are Orion Pirates. Now can you just give us a little bit of a you know history lesson? Are these the same green aliens from like the orion slaves from menagerie and from some of the uh, tos episodes and then later we would see them in like the jj trek there's the green girl i mean even Tendi in lower decks is an orion as far as i know are these supposed to be like the same species to be honest i don't know okay
1: <laughs> it was i i think they were because i do know that they were supposed to be green skinned, but for some reason with what the way the animation turned out, they ended up being more of like a light blue. OK, so I think they are supposed to be. But I don't actually know 100 percent because there's just it isn't really made clear in anything that I was able to read. And I mean, the fact that they call them or 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 orians or right Oreo orians. The whole episode, it kind of makes you wonder, like, are they supposed to be the same or not?
0: But then it's, like, also, weren't the Orions, like, very well known for, like, being pirates and being shifty and shady? So it's, like, you have a green species. That are, they have, like, those weird helmets and vests on for whatever reason. But, like, so you've got these, like, green guys. They're O'rians, not Orions, but they're also pirates. And they're doing all the same things that we normally kind of associate with the Orions. So... Yeah, it's, it's a very kind of weird, yeah, it's a weird thing, right? And I mean, they also kind of talk about them like they've never seen them before, although we know that's not true because technically this takes place like after we would have seen them in the original series. So, yeah, it's, and or even if you, it'd be funny if Kirk had mentioned like, man, you guys are very similar to those Orion guys that we meet all the time. <laughs> Maybe it's like the, uh, the Remans and the Romulans, you know?
1: Yeah, it was a very strange, bizarre thing that they, like, the, the Huron and then the Enterprise were, like, very surprised by this this strange red ship. So, I don't know, it's, it's kind of an ambiguous thing that wasn't really explained or resolved. Now, um, so the, Kirk falls for this super obvious trap that the Orion captain kind of lays out for him. He's like, well, beam down to one of the asteroids and, you you know, I'll give you the, the strobolin And everyone's like kirk you know jim it's a it's a trap it's obviously a trap and he's like yes but i'm just gonna do it anyways because uh you know mr spock's life is on the line and really the only thing that like stops the the orion captain from going through with this plot to like blow up both ships using i guess the asteroids were like very unstable and you know all it would have taken was a little sort of spark to blow them up and it would have been a big enough blast to destroy both ships and I mean, he was like this close to pulling it off. I mean, if Kirk hadn't like noticed the little button <laughs> at the very last second, like he would have blown up both ships. Like what, what was Kirk thinking here?
0: I mean, this is a very Star Trekky thing, especially of this era where it's the obvious trap that everybody falls into. I mean, we, really, we literally just saw that exact same thing when we did the Star Trek 09, the JJ movie. Where they know it's a trap, and everybody says it's a trap, and then they just go anyway. It's kind of frustrating, but it's kind of one of those things where they want to put them in these certain situations, but they can't They can't write something clever enough to, to, to kind of get them to, to fall for it, so they just go in willingly, and they think that they're just going to kind of muscle it, um, which they do here. I think that, yeah, for a cartoon, maybe it doesn't matter as much, just because, I mean you know at the end of the day that Kirk and the Enterprise are not going to get blown up by these random Orions on an episode of the animated series, you know? Like, can you imagine if we never got, like, Rathacon and all the movies and stuff because, like, that Orion captain had pushed that button? <laughs> you know, like, it's, uh, it's kind of, yeah, I can kind of accept it a little bit, but I think that the bigger problem and the overarching problem with this whole thing is just that it's not even really super interesting. Because the the reason for doing it doesn't make any sense. Especially since, like, if you're a species that's neutral, then just don't join anything. Like, it's not really super hard. Like, if you want to be pirates and, you know, go around space stealing from people and doing all these nefarious things, then just do it. Like, there's nothing saying that you have to join the Federation or that you have to join any of the factions, right? And so, I don't really get why they would even bother with any of these schemes and plans like just drive away and 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 call it a day you know
1: orion's throughout this episode was just kind of a really weird bizarre thing now of course you know kirk saves the day they get the strobelin you know they just in the nick of time spock you know recovers and there's this really kind of bizarre capper scene in sickbay like just before the end and uh like mccoy is you know giving spock his usual ribbing of like oh you green-blooded vulcan you know if you just had regular human blood like you would (laughs) have been fine blah 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 and he seemed like really angry like just really angry and then he just starts laughing and then the rest of them start laughing and it was just so bizarre like what was going on in this scene like you know mccoy's all ripping on him and then all of a sudden he's just like you know slaps the knee and just like lets out a good belly laugh like it didn't make a lot of sense here
0: so one thing i will give this episode credit for because i either forgot about it or never knew about it or it's never mentioned before but one of the things that mccoy says in this episode is that the reason why vulcan's blood is green is because it's copper based so human blood has iron as like the thing that attaches in the hemoglobin but in vulcans it's copper which is the reason why it's green has that did that ever come up in the show or is that like the first time that they've mentioned it
1: um that's a good question
0: because that is like a genius little you know because everybody knows that copper like you know when it gets oxidized it turns green or when you put copper in water it's green like i don't know i kind of thought that was like a really cool way to to kind of explain a why he was affected by this illness and b why their blood is green in the first place
1: yeah, that scene near the beginning where they sort of explain it, like that was actually not bad, but this was just puzzling.
0: This was just them trying to do like the TOS, like we'll all sit around and we'll have a laugh, but because it was kind of like McCoy who had done the, the saving of, of Spock, so it was kind of like he was going to have the last laugh rather than like typically we'd see Kirk doing this laughing stick. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, by the time that we hit the twenty-minute mark, it's like I don't even care anymore. <laughs> it's just like let's roll the credits and be done. Like this is not this is not very engaging. It's not very exciting. It's not very good, unfortunately. And it to me anyway, everything that McCoy said just seemed like I like I told you, like they literally had just like woke up to Forrest Kelly and he like recorded the lines like while he was laying in bed. Um, <laughs> he just sounds so bored. Blasted Vulcan why couldn't you just have red blood like it's just cringe almost and i didn't really yeah didn't really like it
1: okay as typical in uh, the animated series we uh we had a couple of the uh voice actors pulling double duty i don't know if you noticed this but uh Major Barrett and George Takei, uh, they, as, in addition to their usual characters, they did uh, the two sort of bridge officers on the uh, the Huron.
0: Oh, okay, I didn't notice that. So that mean, I guess that's good on them that I didn't notice.
1: Yeah, some yeah. You know what? I don't know if I would have noticed either if I didn't know ahead of time. Um, and then of course James Duhan did pretty much everyone else.
0: Well, as as is the customary.
1: And um, we've already talked about you know his voice acting abilities. If you know that it's him, sometimes you can tell, but uh, he, he's pretty good at you know shifting his voice. Does
0: he do? Does he do that? Um, the bridge or like the the calm guy, like the orange alien that is only in the animated series. I forget what his name is. He,
1: yes, yeah, he does. Yeah, Eric's. Yeah, he does that character. As okay,
0: that's pretty good because I. Yeah, I didn't. I, I know that James Duhan does a lot of voices, but I was trying to hear like a bit of the Scottish accent or anything anytime he talked. But he does do a really good job of masking it.
1: Uh, now there was one character that he didn't do, and that was the Orion Lieutenant. So like this kind of second in command. He was voiced by Norm Prescott and Norm Prescott uh, was the or yeah was the co-founder of filmation which is I guess the animation studio that that did the animated series and he was actually a producer on the animated series so I mean this is I guess a guy who's you know doing all the producer stuff and then I guess maybe he decided one day you know what give me a microphone I want to give this like voice acting thing a shot
0: so so here he is like a nice little cameo it's always kind of cool to see different cameos pop in and out and stuff. I mean, I guess before we kind of wrap this up, this is probably the best time to maybe just kind of talk a little bit about the animated series as an idea, but also we're getting pretty close to the end of Lower Decks and we haven't talked about it a lot, Matt. I think that uh, it's been pretty well received in the uh, in the fan community. Um, we haven't really talked about it. Like, I mean, this is now, geez, what, 40 years later, we've returned to Animated Trek in a completely different way, in a completely different um, kind of take. Yeah. Was the animated series ahead of its time trying to do Star Trek on, 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 on pen and paper, or is it just kind of one of those things where, you know, with all the adult swim family guy and Simpsons and stuff, there's now an avenue for animated Trek that is going to kind of just make it more enjoyable or to make it more, more likable.
1: Well, I always sort of felt like the animated series was their way of coming up with new Star Trek because I mean it, it became very popular after it was canceled, and I think this was just their way of saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do some more Star Trek, but we're gonna do it like super super cheap. So I think, and I think it kind of shows through. Whereas you know, Lower Decks was a very purposeful show. It was you know they would they were gonna take full advantage of. The medium of doing an animated show, and they were going to do, you know, they were going to do a funny comedy show that, you know, that they know that is something that people are going to want to watch because, you know, the shows that you mentioned Simpsons, Family Guy, and a whole bunch of others have all been very successful. And so, why not, you know, throw a Star Trek label on a similar type of show? And so, I think because they were purposefully doing it and they weren't just doing it to say we want to get a show out there cheap and and easy that i think it's been much better um and i think they've they've you know really really uh leaned into this whole you know adult humor brand of of star trek
0: now i mean the other question that i would ask and i mean i agree with you 100 percent. i think that the other Big benefit that lower decks has is that it has all the nostalgia factor, so it can draw from you know five or six series versus uh, you know the animated series was really just trying to continue on with what they were already doing, but just with like no budget, no live action, no anything, right? So I mean it's definitely different, and it's it's kind of a shame actually that it went this long before we got another animated series because as much as I don't like this stuff, I feel like I do like Star Trek in cartoon form they can do a lot of things that you normally wouldn't do normally couldn't do um last time we saw the animated series there was like the plant people remember the um Thilusions. the dilusions yeah um which i think is just kind of and actually did you notice they dropped that in lower deck there was an episode where um they actually mentioned them, which is i thought was pretty crazy i think that the biggest question i have also is just that do we get the movies if there is no animated series so like if you go back in time into the 70s and you delete the Star Trek animated series and they go 10, 15 years between, well, maybe not that long because I guess the the motion picture is what, 79? But um, if you go a decade, is it just that the interest fades out and you never get the movies?
1: I still think you probably do get the movies just because I feel like they there was plans to do it before the animated series came along. It was just a matter of, Circumstance and, and finding a studio that was willing to pay for it and, and getting a you know good enough story put together I think the yeah I, I think the animated series this one from the '70s, it was just strictly like, gee, look at how popular the show was. We really shouldn't have canceled it. How can we give these fans something without having to spend a boatload of money? I guess that was the solution
0: <laughs> Now what are your thoughts on the whole canonical? elements of animated trek they say that lower decks is canon i know they've come back and said that a couple of the animated series episodes are canon are you able to kind of watch these animated shows just as they are and then kind of go off or are you sitting there with a pen and paper and being like well technically you know kirk should have done this because this episode from that kind of thing um does it get more of a free pass than like picard or or, or, and discovery would get
1: i hate the word canon i hate the (laughs) concept of canon i think it's so dumb that we have these people out there that have so much time on their hands that they can go back and, and nitpick to that level of saying like, nope, this should not be part of the the world, this should, and, and so on. You know what? If it's a good story and it contradicts something else, like who cares? Okay. If it's entertaining, if you enjoy it, like, I mean, the novels are the same way. I mean, I've read a, quite a few of the novels over the past five years and, some of them contradict things or, or some of them another episode will come in the future that, that like wipes it out or, or that it makes it make no sense. But, you know, who cares if, if it's good and you enjoy it, then read it. Enjoy it and, and don't worry about, you know, does it fit in perfectly with with what we've already got?
0: Yeah, and you know what? You probably have way lower blood pressure than uh, the average Star (laughs) Trek fan out on the internet like griping and and kind of going. Um, I mean, I kind of like when they try to keep things the best they can, but I will say that the animated stuff I give a total free pass to. It's the one time where I feel like I can literally just turn my brain off and just enjoy it for the sake of, of what it is without having to really... Yeah, fret and worry that they're they're ruining some other past thing, which I mean is a bit a bit silly in itself, I guess.
1: Are there any memorable scenes or any uh, lines that uh, stuck out to you in this episode?
0: One thing we didn't talk about, which I, I think is maybe a shame that we didn't, but the opening of the animated series is amazing. I think that the uh, the title card and the animation and the music is just stellar. Um, if you were looking for something that was going to draw you in on like a Saturday morning cartoon, like that definitely is going to do it for me. So big time points for the opening. I love the opening. Spock in this episode is hilarious, probably unintentionally, but the fact that he keeps fainting and, uh, there's like that one scene where, uh, they're like, Spock, are you okay? Spock, are you okay? And he was like, I was just conserving energy, Captain. He was like sleeping <laughs> on the job. But I mean, at the end of the day, let uh, yeah, let us give credit where it's due. The, the 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 true hero of this episode is Doctor Dr. Dr., Doctor Sleepy McCoy, uh, who is like you know sleepwalking through all of his uh, lines, and they tried to give him like those same like zingers that he had in the show but he's kind of too hard too tired to deliver them so my two favorite were as much as i hate that pointy eared encyclopedia i don't want to see him to die that was a good one and uh i also like blasted vulcan why couldn't you have red blood like it's some sort of choice that spock made to have uh, green blood those are my two favorite what about you
1: uh as far as memorable goes uh i was the psychedelic, like, crazy neon-colored asteroids really stuck out to me. I-, I wrote, whoa, psychedelic asteroids with several exclamation points. So I think that's probably the most memorable part for me. As far as specific lines, I mean, I guess, uh, nothing really stood out other than maybe some of those zingers from McCoy. Like, the one you mentioned second where he says, you know, why can't you have red blood? Like, that seems like a very McCoy line. So um, I guess that's probably the one that stuck out most to me. But there's... <laughs> A lot of treaty citations, which doesn't really make for uh, great uh, lines.
0: Yeah, that's more like <laughs> Phantom Menace level uh, lines, I guess.
1: All right, uh, sum it up for me uh, with your final thoughts, and give me a rating out of five Orion Vessels.
0: I really wanted to like this. I was started off hot with the with the opening scenes. I thought that uh, Spock collapsing was pretty funny. Um, There was definitely some things that I liked, um, and I actually kind of like the animated series look, like the way that it's animated. I kind of think is kind of hip. I think it's kind of cool. It's like a little bit between like my two worlds, right? Like I said that I'm an 80s baby, so um, like it has a very specific animation style in the 80s, but then also like I think we all grew up with like Hanna-Barbera, you know, the Flintstones, the Jetsons, uh, Bugs Bunny and Tweety, right, which is like... Before all this stuff. And I don't know. The animated series just kind of fits right in between those two things. And it looks really, really great. Um, but that being said, like I can't really say that this is something I'd ever want to watch. And I never want to see it again. I and mean, I could care less that it even really exists. Um, i got to give it one out of five Orion ships. The one is literally just for you know the couple of kind of funny lines and a you know an enjoyable morning chatting about it but let's 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 be real here this is yeah this is not good and this is uh, unfortunate because i think the animated series really had a lot of potential it just never really met it
1: okay um i would say this was not terrible but it was not very good um the pacing was a bit weird i found it was kind of slow at the beginning and then it just kind of like about halfway through, it kind of took off. And I mean, you kind of mentioned that maybe they don't understand that it's a 20-minute show, and so you get halfway through, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, we've got like 30 minutes left to do. We have to cram it into the last 10 minutes. And I found that this episode kind of had a bit of that. I found the plot points were a little bit too convenient. You know, the doomsday asteroids, the super rare substance that turns out that they could easily get, and then also... um the Huron was also we didn't talk about this, but the Huron was also carrying dilithium. So like the Orions are like, oh, there's we're gonna steal all this dilithium, and and that's the reason that they wanted the the antidote or whatever. I found that there was a lot of like talking, but not a lot of action in this one. I mean that was kind of, that kind of hurted a little bit. And this Orion business with the neutrality and them willing to like kill themselves over it was kind of bizarre. Uh, so I mean. Some of these things were kind of puzzling and that made it a little bit tough to get through, but I, I thought it wasn't terrible. Um, so I'm going to give it two Orion vessels out of five. Um, you know, I maybe being a bit generous there, but uh, yeah, it was, it was tough at times, but there were some interesting parts. All right, Andrew, I hear the red alert siren, which means it's time for your favorite part of the show where I'll uh, dig into the... Orion officer helmet of episodes here and uh, grab a new one for you that we will discuss on the next podcast. Uh, What are you thinking here, Andrew? You got any uh, hopes and dreams?
0: You know what? Give me something new. Give me some Picard. Give me some Discovery. Um, I haven't really had the time to go back and watch Discovery season one or two, and it's just around the corner. Um, Season three is like, what, two weeks away, I want to say, just after our Thanksgiving. So Give me a discovery, mat so that it will maybe inspire me to uh, to do a little catch-up before Season 3 starts.
1: Well, unfortunately, that's not going to be the case, uh, and not surprisingly, because the odds are very uh, minuscule. Um, I do have one here for you. It, uh, is, are you ready?
0: I'm ready, as I'm going to be.
1: Okay. So, it is from Deep Space Nine, again, another, another Deep Space Nine episode. It's from Season 5, it's Episode 3. And it is called Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places. Just a reminder for all of our uh, RTR fans out there that you can check out our blog when we're not uh, podcasting. we got lots of good stuff planned for you coming up soon. And uh, you can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, if you have any comments, suggestions, or if you want to tell us how you've been doing with these uh, episode recalls, Drop us a line, view at gmail.com.
0: Oh, I'm drawing a blank. The Klingon homeworld is... Uh... Kronos. Kronos. Thanks, Matt.
1: <laughs> All right, are you ready? Yes. All right, I've got one minute on the clock, and your time starts now.
0: So my guess is that this is a comedy-based episode and Looking for Parmok is kind of a play on looking for love. I believe it's the episode where Quark gets kind of entangled with a Klingon woman and uh, they kind of have like a relationship. They kind of start dating. There's like an underlying scheme to it as well. So she's kind of using Quark and Quark is kind of getting wrapped up into it and it ends up being that they run into some sort of like legal troubles where Quark actually has to go to like Kronos and he has to like do this whole like trial thing and stuff i think they might have been getting like even like married or something at one point in order to kind of like do the whole thing where you know she gets citizenship kind of kind of idea because she's going to be married to quark Um, and then the whole thing kind of ends up blowing up in quark's face at the end jadzia is a big point because quark always kind of goes to jadzia as like the person to ask for advice and stuff like that Um, and in the end we all kind of feel bad for quark as he gets left in the lurch
1: and your time is up Yeah, this one, I think you may be on the right track. Um, I think it does involve Quark and a Klingon woman. But what, so so
0: is Parmok a, I feel like, is that a Klingon word or a Ferengi word?
1: I think it's definitely a Klingon word. Okay, yeah.
0: All right, so I think that I'm on the right track, but I feel like it's, it's one of the, like, Deep Space Nine, they did love these kind of, like, uh, I don't know what, like, Magnificent Ferengi, this one, like, they love these big, long ones, I feel like there's one as well, where, like, Worf and Jedzia go to, like, Ryza, that, it's called, like, We, He Without Sin Does Not Do Something in the Rain, or something, like, these long, crazy episodes, where it's, uh, it's hard to kind of remember, but, um, I'm kind of happy to be back on Deep Space Nine, I am, uh, I'm never really upset to pull a deep space nine episode because they usually get something out of it. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of like this season has all been about the jokes. Like I feel like we've had a lot of kind of comedy episodes so far, and this will probably keep that trend going. Um, and then hopefully that means that later in the season, we'll get some more serious Trek to sink our teeth into. But you know what, with uh, with the way of the world, with the way 2020 is going, a, a laugh, a week or a laugh, a fortnight won't be the worst thing in the world.
1: It certainly is the best uh, medicine, and hopefully, I think you are right. This one is probably going to have some uh, hilarious uh, moments in it. As for what happens, well, you'll just have to uh, join us in two weeks' time as we uh, break down, looking for Parmak in all the wrong places.
0: Indeed. All right. Bye, bye, everybody. See you in two weeks. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for... The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. During the whole lockdown around the world, Enterprise is having a surge in popularity. I don't know if you've seen it. That's what I've been hearing. It's crazy. Like the Facebook groups, Twitter, everyone is talking about Enterprise. And I didn't realize so many Trek fans had never even watched it. It's nuts. People call themselves lifelong Trekkies who've never watched it and are loving it now. I said to someone a week or two ago, I said, Look, I'm so glad that you're finally getting around to watching it and enjoying it. But where were you guys 15 years ago <laughs> yeah. when we needed? did you when the show was on the edge and then ultimately got cancelled loading holosuite preview program for there are four questions a star trek spotlight podcast
1: I mean, but of course I'm hoping that in the future, drag is a whole lot easier. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't take like two hours to get done up. Right. Because I'd be late for all my duty shifts. So. <laughs> They'd be like, red alert, of the bridge. I'd be like, uh, just a minute. <laughs> just got to tuck here. And put my wig on. Uh, could you imagine? Yes. Yes, I could
0: loading Suite preview program for starbase one a star trek online podcast
1: i don't really think that's a good idea
0: i order you to do it right now warning the structural integrity
1: field has collapsed this is admiral quinn you will be assigned to starbase one welcome to starbase one I'm Colin. I'm Admiral Aaron. I'm Dave. I'm Steve. And I'm Tom. Starbase One is a dedicated Star Trek Online podcast. If you're a first-time listener, hello. If you're a dedicated decade listener and you've been wondering where the hell we are, we're back.
0: Computer, deactivate Holosuite.